listeners to Season 5, Episode 6 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar, and my pronouns are she, they. And I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we're watching Scooby-Doo from 2002. <gasps> it rhymes. <laughs> but first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be perfect to enjoy after a creature's breath has stolen your soul. This episode will contain discussion on cultural appropriation and racism, as well as a little bit of homophobia. If these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you next time. So I made the cocktail this time. Yes. And I call it After Creature Mint. (laughs) It's like a... After dinner delight, but this time after creature. I was trying to do something with like an apartif or something. I don't know. I, I didn't have anything good. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to color it like the creature's breath. Which is very green. It's very green. Uh, so the main ingredient, I think, the one that is the most prominent is the creme de menthe. Yes. Uh, it's about half an ounce of creme de menthe, half an ounce of coconut rum, uh, a bit of Mad Labs umami bitters. Umami. All poured over ice uh, and then f- fill the rest with some apple juice as much as you want. And I didn't stir mine when you plopped it down. That's how I had my first sip. And it's really interesting to have mainly apple juice with those flavors like starting to mix in. Yeah, they like come up out of the bottom. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. I'm. It's very fresh. It does taste like something you would enjoy after dinner. Yeah, I wanted something that was like easy drinking, not like sour or sweet, but more like minty. I don't know what the the flavor profile of mint is like what you would compare it to (laughs) airy I guess something very like it's technically spicy but it's like cold spicy it kind of makes me think you know when you go for like a sushi like two years ago before the panini Mm -hmm. and then you get you get the bill and then they come with those little green candies yeah it kind of tastes like that but a little bit more minty that's basically what this is yeah yeah I'm I'm enjoying it. How are you feeling? Me too. My uh, we had some McDonald's today, uh, and so I had major heartburn, and <laughs> so I think the mint is going to help. Uh, it's like the after meal. Cool it uh, down. Yeah, exactly. All Hopefully, right. <laughs> here's hoping. Yep. Before we get started into the episode, we have patrons to thank. (gasps) We've totally simplified our Patreon. You still get all of the bonus episodes that are up there are still going to be there. They're never going to go away. But this panini has taken a toll on us, so we had to pull back. But we greatly appreciate all of our patrons. You make this show happen. We couldn't do it without you. We really, really mean this every time we say it. (laughs) Thank you so, so much to Jackie V. Janet S, Kat K, Ulsbear, Curtis R, Aiden T, Diana S, Jacob M, Nicholas G, Les Represent Podcast, Redhead Rebellion, Aubrey L, and Colleen D. Thank you all so much for your support. It means the world to us mm-hmm. and it helps the show keep going. Yeah. So this week we watched my fucking favorite movie, <laughs> Scooby-Doo from 2002. It premiered on June 14th of the same year, written by James Gunn, directed by Raja Gosnell, and edited by Kent Beta. 
It stars Matthew Lillard as always hungry, always cowardly hero, Detective Shaggy, Sarah Michelle Gellar as damsel in distress Detective Daphne, Linda Cardellini as smart, inquisitive Detective Velma, and Freddie Prinze Jr. as full of himself jock leader <laughs> Detective Fred. Also, Neil Fanning as the voice of lovable dog Scooby-Doo. This synopsis was written by Rachel on IMDb. Way to snag that username quickly, Rachel. Good job. (laughs) Mystery Inc. Daphne, Fred, Velma, Shaggy, and Scooby-Doo has broken up on the grounds of who has been solving their cases. After two years separated, they are mysteriously joined together to solve a case on Spooky Island, a theme park owned by a man named Mondavarius. He needs their help figuring out why the vacationers are leaving mellow and sober. But it seems they are brought back as one for more than just solving a case. So the gang all get to the haunted castle ride on their own and find various clues, including a golden pyramid sculpture called the Damon Ritus, a film set and video tutorials on how to speak like human teens. Yo, dog, I was like, word later on. (laughs) Scooby and Shaggy have a falling out because Shaggy meets a beautiful woman named Mary Jane and Scooby sees literal monsters in the forest, but nobody believes him when he tries to warn them until boom. Monsters attack. The monsters take over the teenagers' bodies and try to acclimate into our world. Even Mystery Inc. gets their souls swapped accidentally between each other, but the Damon Ritus can be used to help folks' souls find their bodies again. At the end of the day, it turns out that Scrappy Doo was controlling a robot that looked like Mondavarius, who he had actually kidnapped and imprisoned. And he was planning on sacrificing the ultimate pure soul, Scooby, to complete his monstrous plan. Of course, Mystery Inc. works together to save the day and everyone lives on happily ever after. Hit me with that trailer audio. When the world needs a champion against the forces of darkness, who will answer the call? On an island of mystery. Welcome to Spooky Island. They have. Monster! The monster? No clue. We're here to solve a mystery. Rory. Wow, that trailer sucked. <laughs> Holy crap, it stank of 2002 and in the worst possible ways. Oh, yeah, they did the like reflective, like music synthesizer with Scooby's head a lot and oh, just. Oh, boy. Man, the editing on that was bad. It also just made it seem like it felt very kids movie, which, of course, yes, this is a children's film aimed for young audiences. But there's so much comedy in there that's for the adults, too. Yeah, but that's all kids movies or at least all good kids movies. Yeah. Is that the the parents can sit there and enjoy the uh, adult jokes while the kids are distracted (laughs) by Scooby Doo. Yeah. I think I'd seen that trailer like a million times because I'm pretty sure like Teletoon played it over and over again. Oh, okay. So whenever I was watching cartoons, it would be like, and here's the Scooby-Doo commercial again. And I, the one line that always stuck in my head was the, we're here to solve a, a mystery. mystery. Yeah. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the film? Uh, so right off the bat, gotta talk about the Hollywood voodoo, oh, uh, which is like always portrayed as like weird animalistic practices 
when in reality, uh, voodoo is an actual religion and not just used to do like evil magic as Hollywood always portrays it. What? I thought it was just witch doctors and, um, you know, dolls with pins. Summoning demons or trying to steal kids' souls so you can put your soul into it. Yeah, it's it's extremely commonly known and we probably wouldn't be able to cover it uh, adequately, but Hollywood loves to make uh, voodoo look like some weird, like, evil ritualistic culture. Could they stop? Yeah, could they stop? Um, so the fact that the entire island is based on that concept is a little bit or extremely dated. Yeah. One could argue that Monteverius was the one that did it because the entire island is ba- like the entire theme park is an island and it's based on the like Hollywood voodoo stylings. Mm-hmm. But then the movie literally just has a dude that's not associated with the park at all doing rituals that are like supposed to be scary um, so there's no excuse for that. That case kind of goes out the window. Yeah. It also was a lot of mishmashing of tribal and indigenous culture all rolled together. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what, yeah. what elements can we take from things that I do not understand? So therefore are scary to me. Yeah. And Scooby-Doo. Which is really, really too bad. Like, I love this film, but this is like a pretty big notch against it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like so it's not even like a throwaway gag. It's like the entire mystery revolves around that. Deeply, yeah, embedded into the plot. Like when they do their their song that they're trying to use to summon the demons, it's like clearly based on uh, cultures that are not their own. Yep. (laughs) And it's a bunch of like 90s, like early 2000s but clearly just harping on 90s slang Mm -hmm. uh all like a bunch of white kids doing the dances and stuff um cultural appropriation yeah it's like the whole mystery is cultural appropriation they're stealing their souls this whole amusement park is cultural appropriation but also holy shit yes what you just said (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah that um i'm i'm sure that there's probably a YouTube video that covers that more adequately than we do. But um, I just had to point that out because mm-hmm. every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so fun and up. Yo. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my second point, and I believe this is universally known. This is the perfect casting. Yes. Like a million percent. Everybody in the gang is like, it's like the actor was born to play this role. Yeah. Which is too bad because I've heard that some of them didn't really love doing the film. What? Uh, but then it became such a success that they sort of like learned to love it. <laughs> they retroactively loved yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I and, it, and it's also one of those things where like they're supposed to be teenagers or I think they're like in their mid 20s yeah, now. Yeah. yeah. But like everyone's clearly in their late 30s or something. Mm-hmm. But you don't really care. No, especially um, as a kid. Because yeah, especially all movies are kid, like that. Which I really love. And then like later movies that they're in or like ever seeing them outside of their Scooby-Doo roles is always like a little bit jarring because they're so <laughs> perfectly these characters. Which is also, this casting is also so weird because they all were in their own horror movies too. Exactly. Speaking about like their other films. Yeah, yeah. Matthew Lillard was in Scream. Both Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. were in um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Linda Cardellini was in The Curse of La Llorona. I mean, that was that was a bit after Scooby-Doo. Yeah, but it still happened. <laughs> what was she? Was she in a horror movie before Scooby-Doo? 
I don't know. Apparently she was in Freaks and Geeks. I've never seen Freaks and Geeks, but everyone tells me tells me that that's wrong and I need to. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then when I saw her in uh, Curse of Lorna, I was like, oh, I this is this is Velma. Yeah, this is just Velma. So <laughs> um, but yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's like one of those very rare movies where it's a, an adaptation from a cartoon where every actor just perfectly nailed it. Um, yeah, completely agree. <laughs> just completely. Um, I mean, Matthew Lillard always understands the assignment going in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really a talented actor. I could go on and on about how much I love Matthew Lillard. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want. <laughs> I'm just saying, I think it's funny. Also, have people heard about these memes of Matthew Lillard or Shaggy being like the ultimate power? Yes. The Super <laughs> Saiyan uh, Shaggy. But uh, Matthew Lillard. Yeah. I just the amount of commitment that goes into his roles in embodying the characters so clearly down to the tips of his fingers and toes <laughs> is fantastic to me. You can really see it in Scream as well. I had we should just have a Matthew Lillard movie marathon. Yeah. Plus he plays D and D. So and he was an actor at a school, or he was a teacher of acting at a school that I went to. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think there's also probably like a good. Uh, Venn diagram of Matthew Lillard movies that you like but I've never seen and ones that I like that you've never seen um, anyways going on uh, my final point is slightly personal Ooh. Um, so there's a part in the movie when everyone's soul is taken out of their bodies and then Shaggy finds them and starts like flinging them off but they don't quite get into the right bodies yes uh, and this <laughs> they're just swapping back and forth to each other everybody gets a chance to be each of them yeah um but the body swapping definitely was something that stuck to me as a kid and not for the pervy reason you didn't want to just look at boobs no that was not the only reason mm -hmm. it almost like i think it was one of those like subliminal bombs in my mind that was like planted and had a timer to go off uh because the idea of like wait you can be in a different body that's not the one that you were born in. Oh, wow. That's interesting. What a novel concept to start uh, percolating inside my mind. For kids. Yeah, exactly. Trans allegory. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, um, I don't know. They kind of try to portray it, especially with Fred, that he's like, Haha, I get to look at boobs all the time. Which is ironic because he's dating Daphne. So yeah, he can look at her boobs all the time <laughs> and vice versa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also think of the joke where Shaggy goes in uh, to uh, Daphne's body and he's like, you're why you do you ever eat? Yeah, you're so I'm hungry. So hungry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's kind of sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, if if any kids watch this when uh, they were young and then came out as trans later in life. Let me know. Connect some dots later on. Yeah. yeah. Let me know if this helped or if this, if you think of this movie often when, when discussing that topic, that'd be interesting. That is so cool. I definitely did not, um, attach myself to that feeling watching the movie as a kid. It was definitely like, ew, like I don't want to look at other people's bodies. <laughs> I'm sheltered. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's like in community when, um, Troy and Abed, think like pretend that they swap bodies and then they immediately check each other's junk out and then just like, huh, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's, those are all of my points of this very good movie. Yay. <laughs> We're going to take a 
moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This season of Drinking and Screaming would not be possible without the support of Mad Lab Distillery. With us since the very beginning, this distillery is Canadian. We love everything they create, and we use their umami bitters in this week's drink. You can get their amazing products at a private liquor store near you or at madlabdistilling.com. Evil Amy has sent us a new Funko Pop to match the adorable keychain. It's a Leatherface Bubba. <laughs> very, very cool. Their collection of Funko Pops is massive. They ship globally, which is fantastic. And you can get 10% off of your purchase using code EVIL10 uh, at evilamystearshop.com. I also should say they have adorable little tea towels. I think I've talked about them before. I'm really enjoying mine that are like black, white, and orange pumpkins. It feels very classy, but very <laughs> Halloween, and I love it. Thank you so much to After Dark Distillery for becoming a season sponsor. We're thrilled to explore your flavored moonshines and other delicious products and can't wait to showcase one of them on the show, maybe even next episode. You can get your own at AfterDarkDistillery.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Drink underscore Scream, on Facebook at Drink and Scream, and you can email us at DrinkingAndScreaming at gmail.com. For more information to buy some merch, go to drinkingandscreaming.com. We also would love if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser to help more folks find the show. Please review us if you do. We'll read your review live on an episode. And if you review us with a one star, I'll haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get back to the episode, Scoops. main points that I want to go on, one of which is very superficial, and yet it needs to be said because of how great it is, which is the costumes, mm. which I I realize saying this is a superficial point is actually kind of an asshole thing for me. This is an entire department's job, and I hope that you got awards for this because it was so well done. I just meant superficial in that it's like something that I want to say. This movie was great because it was so colorful. <laughs> but every, you know the Scooby gang. You know that Shaggy's got the green shirt and brown pants. Fred's all blue and orange. Velma's entirely decked out in orange. And Daphne's pink slash purple. But... This film did such a great job with the variations of these outfits from the cartoons that I think everyone had like eight different outfits that were entirely color matched to the perfect scheme of their character. Yeah, definitely. They had like when going on a plane in like cozy travel wear or beach wear or nightclub wear um, and like day to day outfits that would change while they were on the resort. And I just thought it was so great. And it, the fact that everything was so vibrant, it really drew you in as an audience member as well. Mm -hmm. The whole film, regardless of the costumes itself, like the set pieces and stuff were very dynamic and bright while still being spooky. Yeah, it very much felt like a cartoon that was turned into reality. Yeah. Like it had very, it kind of felt like a universal ride with all of its color and, and stuff like that. The, the whole spooky castle ride, I would want that to be yeah. a ride. I would go on that. It is. It's already all designed. Yeah, I would exactly. want to experience that. <laughs> Just let people hop in and almost get sliced by guillotines. Yes. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> and then my other point is very much more true to the char of this podcast, which is the female characters having agency. 
<laughs> uh, Daphne at the start of the film is uh, kidnapped by a ghost and she's frequently it's it's said that she's frequently the one that is the damsel in distress. Yeah. And she's like super mad about that. Fair. Granted. Um in that two year break before getting the gang back together, she goes out and learns combat techniques. And you see that at the end of the film, she is no longer a damsel in distress. She fights back against all these like super buff men using their own weight against them. Um, and still has that Daphne charm, but she's able to really fight for herself. And I mean this not in a way I always hate it when like the issue of assault comes up and people are like, just take self-defense courses. Mm -hmm. This is not that (laughs) this is claiming your power on your own so that you can better yourself for you. Yeah. And it even like not talk, not to really talk about the second one, but it seems to persist through these, this series is that she can do martial arts and like different varieties of martial arts, even in the fight that she does with the, uh, the wrestler, like she's doing a ver- variety of different martial arts, so including impressive. wrestling, which was badass. <laughs> and then on the other hand of this, we have the character of Velma, who's always been very smart. Um, but I thought that there were I before doing scaredy facts for this, I've watching the movie. I was like, there are some hints here <laughs> that Velma and Daphne are kind of like maybe together, mm-hmm. but I'm not too sure, but I'm seeing it. And then of course, at the end of the film, they shove Daphne or they shove Velma with this like guy who she talked to once. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, everyone's happily ever after. <laughs> I'm like, who are you? Who are you? Random guy. <laughs> Velma doesn't care about you. It's obvious. Take your spiked gel tips and go home. <laughs> But I have to put a scaredy fact here because it changes my entire point, which is that screenwriter James Gunn revealed that in the original script, Velma was explicitly gay. So we were right. But the studio decided to water it down to block any references to her sexuality. No. Some of the more ambiguous things were kept in, which is why I think our gaydar went off. Um. But a lot of things were edited out of the final version of the film. There was even a kiss between Daphne and Velma. But I'm so sad. I mean, someone pointed out, I think it was on Twitter, that uh, Daphne and Velma's color scheme is literally the lesbian flag. So there we go. It's orange, uh, two varying shades of orange, white, and then two varying shades of purple. So, or two to three. I'm looking at two different ones. Um, But yeah, it's like... I, I, I'm i curious if the original artist for the cartoon did that intentionally because um, it is one of those things where it's like I don't know some some more woke people may infuse uh, as much representation as they can into something without producers realizing it yeah because um, Fred kind of sucks Fred does kind of suck yeah and then at the end of the film he kisses Daphne and Daphne's like oh my god Fred but then (laughs) she like smiles at him after and I'm like this is what appropriates people from a young age to think that no means yes yeah exactly no no means no or she looked they cut a part where she says oh my god Fred and then looked at Velma and did that blinking yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah, I mean, in the in the cartoon, they don't really have much like relationshipy stuff. They like hint that the two uh, sexy characters are together just because they're the hot ones. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm thinking of like the early early cartoon. It was just like Fred was just the 
the leader. That was like, he didn't even have like a quality that was like, oh yeah, he's like smart or strong or kind or whatever. He was just like, it's like Scooby and Shaggy are the scared ones. Velma's the smart one. Daphne's the superficial one. And Fred, leader. Lead white man. Lead, lead group. He's the one that drives. <laughs> and that's it for my points. Yay. I want to say that I didn't, I, I love this movie. I do want to be able to shit on it though for the, its failings. That's true. That's fair. Um, zoinks. There's a there's a b- 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 book over there with a f- 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 face on it. It doesn't look like a menu, Scoob. Oh, chinkies. Oh, uh, but I just ate a dog. I, I ate dog food. I grabbed <laughs> I grabbed a chunk of dog food out of my dog's food bowl. And now my bravery is just skyrocketed. So I guess it's time to open the We joke, we joke, we joke. <laughs> um, my recommendation is Goosebumps from 2015. Listen, I know people didn't like it, but it's a family-friendly spooky movie <laughs> that I personally remember liking, and it's got Jack Black in it, which automatically elevates it a bit. So that's Goosebumps from 2015, Fight Me. I haven't seen it. I like it. I don't know why people didn't like it. All right. My recommendation is Monster House from 2006, which is an animated Halloween film about a house that comes alive to eat children. Oh, it's similar vibes of comedy with light action horror as Scooby-Doo. So that's Monster House from 2006. Scary facts is the part of our podcast where we invite you into our gang where we're spooked and scared from because we just watched a scary movie. But Boinks. there are trivia facts that we can read to, you know, make us realize that it's a movie with a set and actors and a large animated dog that runs around in real life. So <laughs> we're, we're bringing you in. Here's some trivia facts. Heck yeah. First of all, I wanted to find more information about how they made um, like the eyelines for Scooby, who is entirely animated in. But unfortunately, there weren't uh, that much information on it. I do have some some. You're telling me it wasn't tidbits. Andy Circus. You're going to sit there and tell me that it wasn't just Andy Circus showing up uh, on a couple days and being a dog. <laughs> And I got ahead of myself with the budget. I'm so sorry. The estimated budget was 84 million. Ooh. Opening weekend, they made 54.2 million, oh. which is a bit sad. But also, that's a huge budget, definitely for all the animation. Yeah. But then, don't worry. Gross worldwide, 275.6 million. Heck yeah! So clearly, a resounding success. <laughs> The director, Raja Gosnell, wanted a real-life couple to play Daphne and Fred. His first choice was Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. And actually, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. didn't want to do the movie because he felt it wouldn't live up to the original cartoons, but his partner talked him into it. There's an interview that I've seen with Freddie Prince Jr. where he's talking about the original Scooby-Doo's <laughs> and he's like, it's American literature. We need to understand it is American literature. And like... Praising it so heavily that I can understand that he's like, I don't want to, I don't want to fail this cartoon. I can't, yeah. I can't do it. I don't <laughs> think I can live up to Fred. <laughs> 
more changes that were done as well. This film was originally set to have a much darker tone, especially poking fun at the original series and was set for a PG-13 rating. Shaggy was going to be a stoner, of (laughs) course. Velma and Daphne had a side relationship and there were many marijuana references. That true. But according to Sarah Michelle Gellar, after the cast had signed on, there was a change and the film became more family friendly. However, by 2017, James Gunn confirmed that the original cut of the film had an R rating (laughs) and they had to use a lot of CGI to cover up cleavage. (laughs) I'm like, okay, damn. All right, I guess. You do you. Much different tone of film. I feel like I would still like it because the cast is what makes it. Yeah, I would be, hmm, it would, yeah, it would definitely be more like a scary movie type movie Mm -hmm. if if it's like making fun of Scooby-Doo. But I don't know. I like that it's like unabashedly a Scooby-Doo movie. Like they don't shy away from the fact that it's Scooby-Doo and there's no like Marvel style jokes to break up the Mm -hmm. seriousness of being a (laughs) Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah. When Daphne attempts to recruit Shaggy and Scooby to inspect the castle with her, Shaggy objects. He says, like, Scoob and me don't do castles. I don't want to do the voice because I can't do it. (laughs) Because castles have paintings with eyes that watch you and suits of armor you think is a statue with a guy inside that follows you every time you tune around. And everything that Shaggy actually describes in that line occurred in Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? What a Night for a Night, (laughs) 1969. Which was the first Scooby-Doo cartoon to ever be aired. Awesome. Fun voice acting fact. (gasps) Originally, Matthew Lillard would scream for a very long time to make his voice all hoarse to do the perfect Shaggy imitation. It didn't work out. So he began trying to imitate the voice he did when his voice was all tired out from the screaming. And I just, wow, that's commitment. (laughs) I mean, that's one of those things that like they tell you not to do. Yes. Like protect your voice. Your voice is literally... Your moneymaker. Yep. Uh, if you lose your voice, you're fucked. <laughs> now, this is my Scooby-Doo fact that I have uh, in terms of what happened on set. So Neil Fanning was actually on set every day to provide Scooby's dialogue for the cast to interact with, which led uh, to him and Matthew Lillard becoming super close friends because they had to be very inventive to make Shaggy and Scooby's mm. friendship convincing mm. because it was just him off screen, uh, just reacting to the voice it's cool i was so just curious though i feel like i remember seeing photos of like a stick with a tennis ball on it hmm. and the tennis ball being where the actors were supposed to be looking um but i couldn't find anything so maybe my brain made that up i feel like that just like that's usually the default would be someone with a stick with a tennis ball on it uh, unless Matthew Lillard was just extremely good at figuring out where Scooby would be. I don't know. But I feel like the orchestration for that would be too hard because like the camera needs to be able to frame them properly. And like too many things have to rely on their physically being something there to focus on. Yeah, it can't just be left to chance. Yeah. So it was definitely Andy Circus. They didn't know <laughs> it at the time, but it was Andy Circus just shows up whenever he's needed. Now, this kind of goes back to the trailer that we saw. Originally, Scrappy-Doo was not going to be the main villain. At the end of the film, Old Man Smithers, a.k.a. the Luna Ghost, from the beginning of the movie, was going to be behind the events of the film. This is why the Luna Ghost is so heavily featured in the trailer, Oh, uh, which I thought was interesting. I thought it was like literally a, a misdirect so that 
people would think that the Luna ghost was more important, but then when they go in, it's just it's their first case. And then boom, done. Yeah. Carfax. Jinkies. The Mystery Machine is a 1972 Bedford CF. Nice. I don't know what CF means. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's all my scaredy facts. Yay. Do you have some final thoughts for me? I do. Uh, this is definitely one of those movies that is extremely fun to watch as an adult, because as you said, uh, sure. Yeah, they they wanted to have weed jokes and then decided to, quote unquote, take them out. <laughs> but there's so many fucking weed jokes. His, what do you mean? Shaggy falls in love with a woman named Mary Jane. They're caught on the beach with smoke coming out of their van and cops pull them over for what? Cooking in their van? That's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, there's just like so many jokes that are that would go over a kid's head. And it's just fun to watch with that, like double layering as an adult. Yeah. I love this movie. I don't even feel like I'm judging it through rose colored glasses. I feel like it's genuinely very funny and it has great, great pros. And of course, the great cons that we discussed (laughs) today. But I love this film. I don't understand why people don't like it. People don't like it. I don't know. Your mom got mad at me when I told her that we were doing it. (laughs) I mean, my mom got mad at us when she was like, it's not that's not a scary movie. But then when we watch scary movies, she screams and gets mad at me. So (laughs) maybe the next one will scare you. Yeah, maybe the the next one we make you watch not for the show will scare you. Threats. Well, that's been Scooby-Doo, a movie about Mr. Bean getting mad-eyed by a puppy. (laughs) Next week, we'll be releasing a special watch-along commentary episode, and we'll be watching Halloween 3 from 1982. Ooh. And remember, always scream responsibly. Like, ah! Bye! Jinkies! (laughs) I don't know why I say jinkies as (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drink and scream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com.